We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events. We're always writing articles. But when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy, soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen... You can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Another week, another episode of the Corner Podcast. Young man, Kel Dansby in the building, here with old man Andres Hale. For some reason, today he feels like being extra old and putting a little spice on top of it he went to the barber i'll tell you right now so we're recording the show i had to wait for him to get home because he went to the barber shop now you may be wondering why is andreas hell in the barber shop he was like yo you gotta wait hold on give me an hour i'll be back home i'm like yo you got a baldy just shave your head it's not that difficult no man listen 
bald brothers who are listening to the show, bald people, now you don't even got to be black. If you're bald, and if you have a beard, you go to the barbershop to get your beard taken care of. Like, you have to. You gotta How long get- that take? Ten minutes? It depends. It depends on the lineup. I get my shit shaved right. I get a razor. I do the warm razor shave. Like, I do my shit right, man. Like, <laughs> you can't be out here just, just throwing razors to your head every day of the week. Yeah, you could do that when you're not really doing nothing. But tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to see Stevie Wonder with my wife. So <laughs> I have to look fresh for that. And he then, can't see you. You all right. He can't see you. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know that one's coming. I had to do it. I'm going and to hell for know, that one. And then this weekend we have, you know, a little, a little uh, every three months get together. So... You know, had to make sure the beard looked right. I was looking pretty scraggly, so I had to make sure my shit was tight. You got to go to the barbershop, man. Like, I mean, damn, man. Anybody who's listening to this podcast will tell you, if you have a, a beard, you should go to the barbershop. You can take care of it for some maintenance, but every so often you have to get to the barbershop. Get them split ends taken care of, shape it up real nice, you know, but you don't have any facial hair, so you would know. I have that. facial hair. I have a beard. It's not like woolly mammoth beard. I ain't from Philly. You know, I don't got the grays. You know, trying to be all majestic in the front you of the beard, a, like some man, people. You got an eleventh grade beard, man. Eleventh grade? Who has a beard in the eleventh grade? Exactly, that's my point. You got that that <laughs> beard where you're like, man, my shit's almost connecting. Yeah, that's what you got. My beard does connect. Listen, I don't. I'm not <laughs> not gonna be here. My caricature on this show got a beard. I got a beard. Now my yeah. mustache is a little thin and wispy, but that ain't nothing. The beard is there, and that's the hardest part. You know, I'm the only person in my family with a beard. Look, you need to grow. That's not a beard, man. I don't know what that is. You got a little chin strap, whatever. Grow your shit out. That's what I want to see. I want to see Kale with some real facial hair. It doesn't yeah. grow. Like, it doesn't grow exactly. any That's longer than this. You're, you're, you're talking and your hair does not grow. <sighs> Listen, man. I say if you got a baldy, you, you can make sure everything else is pretty cleaned up and, and well rationed. It's not like you got a, a red carpet tomorrow. We don't got to fight this weekend. We coming oh. over to your crib. Like, you just got all extra fly. Oh, yeah. I feel like I, you're going Hollywood on us. These 18 jobs, yo. This hey. is what happens when we give you some money. We hey. give Dre some money. He go to a barbershop and get the hot towel. He's looking like Captain Hook in every Peter Pan cartoon. We got the dude looking like Shmee, just lathering up, using the, the little leather strap to sharpen the blade. Look, you have to do it right. And that's and I've been doing this before, before like my eighteen jobs. Look, man, I, it's not. This is nothing new. I've been doing this. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta wake up, man. Sooner or later, you're gonna be in the barber chair. You be like, damn, man, I get my beard done. But if your shit grows, I'm just waiting. I need to see Kel with a full beard. I need to see this happen. I, I maintain that I have a beard. When did you decide to rock the baldy? Because I saw Big Mac like two weeks ago, and he was like, "Welcome home, brother." Because I, I, you know, I got the baldy going. It's hot. It's the summer. I got the baldy. I like the baldy. But Big Mac, we're, we're exchanging stories of, I was like, yeah, you know what? I turned 30. I just wanted to see what's up, get my Jada kiss on, and, and, you know, just go opt to get the baldy. When did you just say, you know what? No more curls for the girls. Let me just rock the baldy. No, I didn't make that decision. My my uh, the, my bloodline made that decision. When, when the hair started, my hairline started going back, it was like, all right, that's enough. Get out of here. Oh, you were that's- quick. You didn't hold on. No, man, I like I tried to like I went to the barbershop and I cut it and then I noticed that it was like fading and I was like, oh, no, let's go ahead and cut this shit off. So, yeah, I wasn't waiting. I don't hang on. I didn't want the George Jefferson, man. I was like, nope, got to do this right. I didn't oh. want that messed up McDonald's hairline. I didn't want that the McDonald's arches. Didn't want yeah, that. yeah, nah, that's rough. You could have got the Ray Lewis, the spray paint. 
Nah, man, I'm in not the front. doing that. The, the, the black spray paint right in the front. Yeah, I remember when Carlos Boozer did that, man. Like, no, <laughs> man, I'm not doing that. Well, that's because he sweated half it off in the middle of the game. I'm saying, like, no, I'm just, this is who I am. There's Italian in my family. My pops was losing hair mad young. And then, you know, it happened to me. And as soon as I spotted it, like, my wife spotted it. My wife was like, yo. And I was like, you're right. Get rid of it. It's time to go. That is true. She's always honest with you. At least it's quick. She wasn't She wasn't playing around. Oh, talk, she never played. Talk about Ray Lewis, though, besides his, his funny, looking funny in the light hairline. I swear, he don't got no hair in the front anymore, but he's grasping that hairline with, with the shoe polish. Um, yeah. Gave his Hall of Fame speech this weekend, and he is not backing down from his comments straight. Even with Randy Moss there with the tie with all the victims' names on it. Ray Lewis stands tall and says no more of these shenanigans during the anthem. We do not kneel, my brothers. This is what he's saying. This is his message. And then he does a stupid little dance and people cheer. Are you for the new Ray Lewis? I know where this is going. But are, are you for Hall of Fame Ray Lewis? And can we just look past it? Can we give Ray Lewis the pass and just oh. say he he's a weirdo and we're fine with it? No, so okay, okay. So here's my issue. Look, we're at a point now where, you know, if you if you're speaking out against people protesting for the anthem, you're a problem. Like, keep your shit to yourself. If you stand up for the national anthem, and this goes for Dak Prescott, who I know we're going to talk about as well. If you stand up for the national anthem, whether it's mandated or not, it's not your job to speak out against those who protest. You should shut the fuck up. That's your job. Shut the fuck up. Let them protest. Because if you're not riding with it, if you do, if you feel like it's desecrating the flag or if you, whatever you feel like it's doing, disrespecting the veterans, whatever you feel like it is, if that's your prerogative, like, do that, shut the fuck up. If somebody's asking you, do you stand for the anthem? I was like, yeah, I do, but I, I still side with my brothers in the struggle. Like, say something like that. But once you start speaking against the protest, you're a problem. And Ray Lewis, he's been a problem. Fuck Ray Lewis. Oh, like, but we, we got Ray Lewis, we got Jim Brown, Tony Dungy this past week. Tony Dungy was on Fox News. Like, these people are being paraded around with this, you know, anti kneeling approach. And it's, it seems to be, we'll get to Des Dak Prescott in a second, but it seems to be like these older guys who it's like, man, you know, Tony, it's like, yo, Tony, you're so respected. His coaching tree of black coaches in the NFL is so deep. You look at Ray Lewis. What he was, the mouthpiece he was, and how much respect he commanded during his career. One of the best linebackers ever, if not the best linebacker ever. And Lawrence Taylor is the best linebacker ever. Lawrence Taylor is the best linebacker ever. ever. I, I just, for the people who thought differently, I'll throw that out there. Lawrence Taylor, I'm a Giants fan. Come on. I ain't going to disrespect his name. But, you know, yeah. for people who may feel different, uh, Ray has some longevity. Um, but, yeah, you know, the respect he's commanded. And when he speaks, people listen. Do we give these old heads a pass? Or do we just say, you're on the list too? Because should they know better? They sh again, again, it's your prerogative. Like, if you stand, that's on you. Tony Dun like, you need to recognize. All right, so back in um, 72, I want to say, 1972, when Ali was out for the draft um, and was banned from boxing, Jackie Robinson spoke out against Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. And... The, the, you know, and Jackie Robinson, it was, it was like, in my mind, as a kid, when I read it later on, you know, well after it happened, what the fuck is Jackie Robinson doing? Like, 
I have a problem because why are you speaking out against Muhammad Ali? Instead, you should shut the fuck up, mind your goddamn business. Because you know the struggle that you went through. Tony Junji being a black coach, Ray Lewis being a black man, like Dak Prescott, like all you guys have had your struggle. And whether you want to admit it or not, people that look like you deal with these situations every day. So when you're being called upon to answer these questions by Fox News, you need to sniff it out for what it is. You should already recognize they're using me. Like, they're using me to speak out against my brothers. Like, those who protest, they are using me. They're not asking me because they really care. They're using me as a tool. And I, I, it's just like, like, I can't give Jim Brown a pass. As much as Jim Brown has done, you know, it's like I can't give him a pass. I can't. I can't give Tony Dungeon a pass. So it's part of the reason I'm really not fucking with the NFL this year. Like, the NFL is really, it's, it's really leaning towards the whole UFC. Like, man, it's like, how conservative do you want this league to be? You don't have this problem in the NBA. No. People are supposed to give back. People are supposed to, you know, you speak out. You know, you don't even, like, standing for the national anthem, that's not even, like, a thing. It's, like, it, it's different. The NFL is just a different beast, and it's, it's breeding these players, and, and it's, like, you know, they'll say, um, like, Dak, uh, who said, what? maybe it was Dak who said um, the message was heard. Has it? Has the message been heard? Is anybody really adhering to the message? Shut the fuck up. I haven't seen shit change. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's, point. that's the point. Like, no, it's I, like you got to shut up. And, and Tony Dungy, love Tony. I loved Tony Dungy, but I'm sure, you know, that if me and that man got in a room together, we'd have it out. Because I'm like, yo, man, you're respected. Like, how dare you? Yeah. Why are you speaking out against these dudes? And if it was so, if, if the message was so loud and clear, why is Colin Kaepernick's name being bleeped out of the goddamn Madden video game? Why are the people that were in the league that were protesting? A lot of them are, are out of the league. Like, there, there's something. There's, yeah, there's like, a much bigger thing here. Outside man. of Kaepernick, there are capable people. Didn't you guys have a safety who's currently on side? Eric Reed. Eric yeah. Reed. Eric Reed's like 26. That's what I'm saying. Like, and, and, there's and no reason for people, him to be unsigned. And it's like, and you're telling them to stand for the anthem. Why? That's my question. Why? Why are you so hell-bent on telling other people to stand for the anthem? Just talk about what you do, bruh. If that's what you do, cool. But don't fuck with this. Like, if you don't have it, like, contrary to popular belief, everybody wasn't in the Black Panther Party and in, in, in part of the civil rights movement. There was a lot of people who were just witnesses. And, and we, we tend to forget the civil rights movement was not too far removed from this generation. Our parents were, part, were around during the civil rights movement. My pops wasn't part of that shit. My mom wasn't part of that shit. They were, they were there, they witnessed it, but they weren't part of it. You don't have to be part of it, but you shouldn't speak against it. That's my point. Like, just shut up. Shut up, move on. Don't answer the question. Don't take the bait, because that's what they're doing. And now we have someone like Dak Prescott who's still playing. So now it's a different aspect. You know, the old heads, you speak out, whatever. To speak out against it amongst your peers and still have to go out and play. Him, Ezekiel Elliott. We see the, the painting. Of him in the sunken place, which was so dope. And the idea behind that and everything was so creative. And it spoke volumes with just an image. That, that shit was great. Great at any meme, anything. Put it out there and let people discuss it. Um, I wish I knew the, the artist's name offhand, but shout out to him. And that was so great. But now Dak, how, how as a conscious black player do you sign up to play for the Cowboys? You don't. You know what I'm saying? It's like you really don't. Like, Jerry Jones... And then, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, the fact that De Dak Prescott said what he said, he's going to be asked over and over again. And it gets a little frustrating because as a 
you know, the players get upset when the media keeps asking questions. Well, when you keep answering them, dumbass, that's why we're going to keep asking them. <laughs> so in the case of Dak Prescott, like you answered and then Jerry Jones gave you a pat on the back. You were a tool to get the message across. So now you're going to be asked. You're going to make fun of. You're going to feel like it's unfair because you're going to say, well, I always stood for the anthem. That's cool. You should have said that. That's my prerogative. I stand for the anthem. But I don't speak against those who do who put a fist in the air. Whatever they do to protest, I don't speak against them. Dak, it's like you can't sound to be – if you're a free agent, you don't play for the Cowboys. No. If you're a free agent, like honestly, like obviously the money speaks, all this stuff. But when you have guys like Aaron Rodgers standing up, like a prominent QB who is white but standing up and siding with LeBron and calling a spade a spade and just saying what he sees and what he believes and, and what your two eyes see and, you know, not scared of repercussions. Not scared that his team is going to blackball him. Knows his worth as a quarterback. Why wouldn't you go and play with that guy? Exactly. I mean, if you're a free agent, you know you can go where you want to go. Yeah. So if you're drafted, anything like that, understandable. Yeah. But it's just in the league, it's so weird because your athletes, and this is what the NBA is kind of about. It's like we just saw the Sixers GM get fired over this, right? Like over, you know, having a burner account and ripping players or just being uh, apart from his players, that's let him go because the players hold so much power in the NBA. If you can't attract star players or or athletes, you, you can't do anything. So if there was a chance of LeBron going there, yo, my man, you got to go because the players are bigger than the system. Or not bigger, but they're an equal part. It's a partnership. In that league. And they understand that. They need the stars. It drives the content. The NFL doesn't understand that, it seems. And it doesn't seem to be hurting them yet. To to tell no. these players, like, no, you can't take a knee. Why not? Only thing you do is pay me to come out here and play. What I do before I take the field is none of your business. And the NFL doesn't get that, but somehow they get away with it. And people talk about concussions are going to do the NFL in. Really? It's going to take concussions? Why? Because everyone gets concussions? Like, why? Because yeah. why? The, the, the rich white families are scared of concussions and the yes. kids losing brain cells, but they're not scared about police shooting people? Is this the no. difference? Yes. It's exactly the difference. I mean, dude, once a lot of people, once a lot of black people reach a tax bracket, they forget where they came from and they forget what truly affects them until it comes knocking at their door. You know, there's a lot of players who say that well, I ain't got to worry about that. Well, that's fine. You, maybe you don't. Maybe. Maybe you don't. Maybe you get pulled over and somebody doesn't recognize you without, you know, with a, without the helmet on and it fucks you up. But you, your kids have to worry about it. Or maybe they don't because you live in an affluent neighborhood. But you got to remember, man, like, so, like this is not an isolated incident. This is an epidemic. Like this is not something that's – this is not even something like somebody like me. I can't say that it didn't affect me. My – my, a family member of mine got shot and killed by the police in the back. So it's like, this is something that touches a lot of homes. But some brothers, they just don't want to recognize it or acknowledge it. And, you know, and that's where we're at with the NFL. That You know, the Players Association is not taking a, a big enough stand. Like, I'm, I'm proud of Randy Moss and what he did. Um, you know, Colin Kaepernick did what he had to do. But there is not a star player in the NFL, like the, the level of a LeBron, that's, that's stepping up. Now, with Kaepernick out of the league, there should be other people taking up that mantle and other people either, you know, if you have to find another way to protest, maybe it's not taking me, maybe it's raising fist. Whatever it is, you you have to do it. 
I just feel like it's necessary. The that's, that's what I wonder. What, what happens if they just all raise their fist? What if they decide to go to Nike and say, you know what? I don't care what my jersey color is. I don't care what my team color is. I'm going to just wear black gloves and I'm going to raise my fist. What if they all did that? They're mm-hmm. gonna get. They're gonna get fined. Cowboys players would get fined. Absolutely, and that and that and that's always going to be the problem. So you know, in summary, it's just a matter of if you're a black athlete, you, you stand for the anthem. If you don't feel like this affects you, fine. Get the fuck out of the way. Just move. Don't don't speak out against us, or you become a target. Just get the fuck out of the way. Well, someone who became a target, LeBron James. Listen, had one hell of a week. Opened up a school. Debuted his Lakers stuff, wearing the jerseys, cloud nine. And Donald Trump just decided, you know what? I ain't got shit to do right now. Let me fire off these hot takes on Twitter. And and went after LeBron. And, I mean, he coded his words, but he called him dumb. Of course he did. Donald Trump calls everybody dumb. But he, he has a special place in his heart for minorities. To me, like when you like just watching that, and it's cool to see so many people back LeBron. And I guess it might be a little bit easier to back LeBron than a Kaepernick, obviously, because it's LeBron James. But when when you see this, and it's in a sports platform now. But if you do this publicly in, in just an arena of sports, which is supposed to be a pastime, which is something people are just taking your mind off of, with or these athletes are entertaining you, and someone attacks them. And their character with no facts. LeBron isn't dumb. Far from it. To go from where he went to to where he is now is incredible. You can't do that being dumb. You're wildly intelligent. You you surround yourself with wildly intelligent people. For someone to say the opposite, it's interesting to then see a Dana White stand next to this man. Is it? Yeah, because you are who you hang out next to. Like, how do you justify... Shaking hands with a man who just called LeBron James dumb. Then what does he think about the John Jones of the world? What does he think about just the average black man who doesn't turn himself into a billion-dollar corporation? If LeBron is dumb, what does he think of everyone else? We have to be very careful, though. We have to be very careful because just because you voted for somebody doesn't necessarily make you— No, not, not voting. You vote no, for no, everything. No, like, no, 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 no. You stand somewhere but, um, and you shake hands with somebody? My man, you break but, bread. I, I, let, me be, let me be very clear. You cannot put everybody in the same pot. Like, Dana White may not share the same sentiments as Trump. They do share a brotherhood in finances and how to save you know, the taxpayer money. But I don't want to go as far. Until Dana White does something that's explicitly racist, I'm not going to say he's not. Because he, you know, he clearly had, runs with a guy who's a dick. But... I don't want to lump him in there and say that what does he think of John Jones or Daniel Cormier? No, not, not, not. Once again, what does Trump think of them? Well, not, I mean, not what does Dana White. Like, how do you associate someone, associate with someone that thinks this of the people you run around with every day? Employees, high level employees in your company. Dude, you who have are to black. Like, like how do you publicly do this? Yo, my, Dre, I promise you this. We, we've had a lot of writing jobs and money's great and all this stuff. You and I, neither one of us could look a boss in the face if we saw him tomorrow on TV sh- shaking the hand of a known racist. And Trump, to me, like, at this point, is done. Like, he is a known racist. Not everyone who follows him is a racist. Like, you can vote for him. You're not a racist. 
But you you break bread and you're handshaking and kissing babies with someone who's a known racist and you my boss. I got to look at you. I, I'm not sure if I can work for you. But they do. And I mean, you have to remember, not everybody's that political. The Daniel Cormier's of the world, the Demetrius Johnson's of the world, they're not that political when it comes to this shit. It doesn't all really... you asses don't throw that shit in my face. We assume a lot of people they may have care. things. When you just throw it out the window and throw it in someone's face, shit goes a little different. Dog, they don't care. You think Ray Lewis isn't going to hang out with Donald Trump if he got the opportunity? Probably. I mean... I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it's, 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 there, there, is, there is a difference between being explicitly racist towards all black people or a certain segment of black people. Donald Trump definitely associates with affluent African-Americans who fit his, you know, the little box that he has created. He was friends with Mike Tyson. Like, he was, he, he's, there are people that he will associate himself with. Yeah. No problem. If you are rich and doing well at the moment, he, he will be friends with you. If you go off the cliff the next and you're not rich anymore, I, I doubt that. I think the true it, colors come out. You know, it's it's not it's it is a big part race, but it's also class too. And yeah. LeBron speaks for a certain class of individuals that Donald Trump just doesn't associate with. Well, that's the point. LeBron's not in that class. No, but he is. He but he speaks up for them. Like Ali was out of our our class the minute like he he won his first world title. But he, from that that point on, he was an enemy of the state because of what he spoke and used his platform for. LeBron's using his platform for something that. Somebody like Floyd Mayweather would never do. Floyd Mayweather went to Trump's inauguration. Like, come on, man. You think they don't care. They don't care. It doesn't affect them like it affects us. That is amazing. Like, it, it, re it really is to, not to say you have a disconnect to those you employ or those who you hang around. It, it just, it seems at this point, and Trump has to have some friends. I'm not going to say he's friendless. But to be a, a figurehead of a sport, like, is Adam Silver going to go chill with Trump when two of his teams blatantly came out and said, we're not going to the White House? No. You think, no, because he's smart. Like, how do you do this? How do you alienate, even if they're friends and they text at night, how do you publicly alienate the people working for it? Because they still work for you. Like, like Dana White, what he does doesn't affect his bottom line. Has it? Him associated with Trump has done nothing to hurt his business. To be honest, most of the people that, that we see at these fights probably vote for Trump. Come on, man. It's like, this is not... Just because they compete in the UFC, don't... Like, I wouldn't put it past Demetrius Johnson to vote for Trump. I wouldn't put it past him. These dudes, like... And I, I, don't, I hate to do this, but they're not... They're not really... They're not black, black. Right? <laughs> It's, it's a different it's a different group of African Americans. Like it's a different group of people. Like the Michael Jordans of this world, they worry about Republicans buying shoes. So associating with Trump or associating with Dana White, it doesn't affect their business. It affects us more than it affects them, because they still hold all the cards. Trump is the fucking president. Yeah, that and, shit's incredible. Like, like and, the... and we keep arguing about him getting, you know, like like people not voting. Like, dude. I'm still telling you, this fucker's going to get reelected. Six you. more years. I'm telling you, man. Like, I'm telling you, until you have to give people an alternative. There is no alternative. Trump is the incumbent right now. It's going to be hard to unseat him. And it sucks because he's so polarizing. 
when you have people like the Dana White said, Dana White will probably tell you a minute. I don't believe it. I don't agree with everything that Trump says. Oh yeah, but he's better, but he's better than Hillary. Like they do that shit because some of Trump's the things that he stands for is what a lot of either poor white Republicans or rich black people go like. I can get with that. I can do that. And like people didn't want to vote for a woman either, you know, to be completely honest. But it's just the way it, it's just the way it is, man. This is not this is not as surprising as you're making it out to me. Like when Trump won, it sucked, but it wasn't that surprising. Yeah, it's just the trickle down nature of it is incredible. And we talked about it on the show where people were just the voice from people who, whether it's, you know, Trump related or not related, I can't just put it all on him. But the people who just feel like they, they have a voice now to spew ignorance. And it's all good. People don't cut their Facebooks in half. Follower-wise, yeah. off, of, off of friends and uh, you know associates and people they went to school with. And you look, you'd be like, yo, are you really saying this? Yes. Like, it, it, it's just the, the voice is getting louder. And then we see something. It, it says a lot by just who you are willing to co-sign. The co-sign is huge. If I ask you for a job... And you co-sign me to someone, yo, Dre, I'm going to get this job. You know this person? Co-sign me. It says a lot who you co-sign. We just saw that Greg Hardy just competed at um, Dana White's show again on Tuesday. Dana White, at the end of it, said, well, you know who texted me? Jerry Jones. And he said he's one tough SOB in Greg Hardy. It's like, really? Like, okay. Like, Jerry Jones was just talking about I guess Jerry Jones is the only guy that gave the guy a chance after domestic violence. But even he had to let him go at a point. Like, it's weird to see the dynamic of what's right and what's wrong. Like, Jerry Jones, yeah, you can hit your woman and be on my team. You can't kneel. Of course not. You're disrespecting the flag. You just disrespect the, the woman. Yeah, I mean, disrespecting women is, is fine. And Dana White, and which, you know, there's some truth to it. He's like, you know what? What is the guy supposed to do? Never work again? This is his second chance. He's changing his life and all this stuff. Fair. Everyone makes mistakes. And, and that's fine. And the guy is working his way up. He wasn't gifted an immediate title fight. That's okay. But to to me, just the... I don't know where the Jerry Jones comment had to be there. It might just rub me the wrong way, and maybe not other people. But in my mind, and maybe it's because Jerry Jones has just been in a consciousness, and I know his statements... To me, that's a very slave owner-ish thing. For it'd be like, and the quote from Dana White was, Jerry Jones text him out of blue. You signed you sign Greg Hardy? And Dana White's like, yep, he's working for me now. Like, what the hell is this? An auction? Well, he's a tough, tough SOB. A boy can pick some ripe cotton right there. You got a good one. Like, what? What? Like, where, what, what is the, con- like, I didn't like the context of it. And it's like, you're giving the guy a second chance. Cool. Let him talk. Let him earn the second. Like, you butting in and saying, yeah, well, me and his old boss, well, yeah, we support, like, for what? Let the guy answer his questions. The questions were done. The comment was unnecessary. Like, I, I just don't, it, it's so weird, the entitlement of these guys who are owners. Let me say that. The hell with racism. The entitlement and the ownership of every player or every fighter is horrible to me. And they feel like you do whatever I want. 
except for the rare few who break that. The Aaron Rodgers, the Conor McGregor's, the LeBron's. Everyone else is like, you know what? You fall in line. And like the NBA is so different. I, I feel even with ownership, the Sterling shit kind of rocked the boat to what they really think. But even ownership's kind of like, it seems like a partnership. Some of these other ones don't. And it's problematic and it's coming to the light. It's like their voice is magnified now. They feel okay to say, you know what? No, you do what I say. I pay you, I own you. Yeah. And the the UFC is right along with that at, at a certain point. Like, if you're not Conor McGregor, they're telling you shut up. Dana, Dana White didn't blink an eye in Nate Diaz. He's not going to fight? Whatever. He signed a contract. He'll be there. Yeah, man. They have the power. And nobody's stopping him from it. Like, dude, if Trump hasn't been impeached yet, he's going to see how far he can push this shit. So. Yeah, like, NFL, it, like, I think you might have said it on the show, but someone said it last year. It was like, if every black player just walked off, like, just stay in the locker room. When they say, you know what, you stay in the locker room. If every black player stay in the locker room and you got that visual, what is it going to do to your league? It's going to make white people mad. That's what it's going to do. <laughs> it's like, that's powerful. So it's like, these guys have power. It's just frustrating to see the power not exercised at a point. And like, I guess you're right. You know what? Even the civil rights, not everyone did it. It, nope. it might be unrealistic to just say, you know what? Once, let's all just do something real quick. Tomorrow you go back to doing whatever you want. But once, let's just all do it. But I guess that wasn't the case, you know, back then. So um, Greg Hardy touched on him a little bit. Let's talk about his fighting aspects. Knocked the guy out in 17 seconds. What do you think is him, of him as a fighter? How far can he go? We know the heavyweight division in UFC is old. Um, they're looking for new blood. There's a couple guys up there. To me, there's only one wrestler, Curtis Blades, in the division a high-level wrestler outside of Cormier, but he won't be there for long. Do you think Greg Hardy has a legit future in the UFC? Can he be a top 10, top 5 guy? I just need to see him get hit. I need to see him fight somebody who's not scared of him. That's all. I haven't seen it yet. He pulled like, back yeah. nicely. The kid was swinging. The reflexes yeah, to pull back were, were quick. But if he was fighting a guy like Steve Miocic or, you know, he would have got fucked up swinging like that. So, you know, we, I mean, we have to see it more. And obviously, we got to see if he can wrestle or grapple or something. There's, sprawl. There's gotta, I just need to see a sprawl. Because you got, I mean, yeah, he's wrecking guys. But these, are, these guys are not good that he's beating up. So it's like, it's a little bit different if he were to fight somebody like a Taito Ivasa or somebody like that or Junior Dos Santos. And I mean, these are upper echelon, you know, heavyweights. The heavyweight division is thin, but... Greg's got to show us more. So he's training with American Top Team. There's no reason to rush him. Yeah, I mean, no, like a, a Stefan Struve. Yeah, it's you just know, if uh, Stefan were to get, if Stefan gets him down, he might be in big trouble. Is he might Arlovsky still, still there? Arlovsky yeah. still in the UFC? Arlovsky still there? Yeah, Ar- Arlovsky. Papa Brown might not be officially retired. Like, you know, a guy like that, I feel like would be a decent test for him. I'm tired of seeing him, you know, I understand like, oh, well, we're bringing him along slowly. To me, that's because of the domestic violence thing. You're just hoping after a while the narrative changes. But right now, I mean, we threw, he's throwing people in there way faster. Mickey Gall went from CM Punk to Sage Northcutt to real deal ass fighters. They lost. But um, but the point is, is that, you know, Greg Hardy only had three amateur fights, and this was his second professional fight. And he's training with American Top Team. So I'm sure when they're ready, you know, when he's ready, they're going to bring him up. I don't, I don't think it's going to be too much longer. But I'm sure he needs to sharpen his tool set. I mean, you're knocking people out. At a certain point, after you knock out, like, your ninth person in 15 seconds, you're like, all right, fine. 
Like, nobody's going to be able to withstand it. But you still have to try to get him in there with a wrestler or a grappler or a, a better striker or something. Somebody who can do a, a kickboxer, anything. Somebody's not because Greg Hardy gets in the, in the cage and everybody gets scared. He just runs at him, though. He runs at and, him in most. And that's dangerous as hell. Like, you know, a, a, a polished striker would fuck Greg Hardy up. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think we got, I think this may be another eight months till Hardy probably gets called up. He'll probably fight another two times in, in uh, maybe on a, like an, IF, an uh, IFL show or something like that before he gets called up. But we'll see him. We'll probably see him by the summer. All right. It looks like, listen, he might be here for fight week. That'd be some crazy shit. Um, it seems like he likes fighting in Vegas and knocking people out in 17 seconds. Uh, the other big news from the UFC, Conor McGregor, Khabib, Nurmagomedov, we recorded the show, and I feel like three hours after, I was like, hey, by the way, here's a press conference, it's final. Um, what do you think of the matchup? And you know what, before we even get to that, the hell with the X's and O's of it. Is it too soon for them to fight in October? Should they have the world tour? Should you build it up? The same way Aldo build had. No, because Conor's <coughs> not doing that shit. Like, 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 let's be very clear about this. The reason why there's no tour is because Conor doesn't feel like doing that shit. He doesn't have to. Like, what is that really going to do? People are going to buy the fight anyway. Yeah, at this point. I mean, it builds Khabib. It doesn't yeah. build Conor. You're not in the market like, of building Conor anymore. Like... The fight being now is because Conor wants to do it now because whatever Dana White acquiesced in terms of financial de- demand, Conor's like, fine. He's been training. He's ready to fight. Why wait? What's the purpose? Khabib, yeah, of course he could use a world tour, but why? The narrative's already there. They've already the narrative of you know the, the, the Dolly throwing incident, the Artem Lobov incident. Um, these guys have been talking about each other for like two years now. The narrative's there. A world tour is only a liability to the point where one of these guys actually just throws a fist at the other one on stage. And it cuts in the training. Nobody really wants to do that promotional shit. Conor did it because he knew what he had to do to build himself heading towards the Aldo fight. But he doesn't have to do it now. So the October's it's not too soon. People are going to pay for pay-per-view. Because, like, look, Mayweather-McGregor had a world tour, but um, that shit was quick. They announced it and they turned that thing around real quick. Yeah, it seemed like it was just a summer build, right? And they went on like those four days, and it was like, all right, back to training. It was like eight weeks. It was like ten weeks, and in, in the in the fight happened. I think they announced. I want to say they announced it in June, and the fight was in August. It was like quick. It was super quick. So McGregor's such a big star. They don't need to do a big promotional world tour. They'll probably do some like remote satellite interviews or something. Have they probably have them do like the New York run on Sports Center or whatever? Maybe Conor McGregor shows up on the Breakfast Club or some shit. But <laughs> I, I don't see any need to go to other regions to promote this fight. I'm, I'm more curious to how well the Russians travel because I'm very interested in seeing the Irish and the Russians in Vegas. Well, now it seems like there's two Russian fighters, right? Because we get a heavyweight matchup. Um, yeah. that they're talking about with the Black Beast um, versus Volkov or something? I think it's Alexander Volkov. Yeah, I think it's Volkov. Um, so you, they're going heavy for that. And the Irish are, Irish will be there. They're, they're buying their tickets next Friday as soon as they go on sale. Um, the other big thing to me, and I'll call it already, this is the biggest fight in UFC history. I expect yeah. it, and I said this from the jump, and the Dolly only cemented it. It's the biggest fight in UFC history. I expect nothing different. What do you, what's realistic for it to do? Connor can't do Mayweather numbers, right? Like him and Mayweather numbers is way too far. But it's two million. 
unrealistic for Conor McGregor? No, it's perfectly feasible. No, two million is feasible. And um, I mean, if you were doing one point three against Nate Diaz, and Conor's profile has only risen because of, because of that, and uh, absence makes the heart grow stronger because people haven't seen Conor and looking forward to him. So there's going to be a lot of knee jerk pay per view buys as well. Two million is definitely reasonable, and then plus it's got a narrative. So I mean, everything that's involved with Conor's return, two million is I can see that happening. I can see, and, and it's funny because you don't like you literally don't have to put anything else on this card. You can put a They're, bunch of shit fights. by reports. They are not putting anything else on this card. No, I mean they have like Michelle Watterson fighting Felice Herrig. That's on the card. Vince St. Preux fighting on the card. Sergio Pettis against uh, Formiga fighting on the card, um, and Derek Lewis, of course. But you really don't like why waste all your like nobody's adding. I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers the Eddie Murphy Ross sketch where he talked about Johnny Carson, his wife being like a beautician. And he's like, Johnny Carson's like $40 million. His wife comes home with like an $80 check. It doesn't really do anything. It doesn't do anything to add to it. Like, people are going to buy the fight anyway. So you don't have to build, you don't have to put like a super card together. It's unnecessary. And it cuts in the Connors' money, which I'm guarantee you that was part of his deal. And that's what I'm thinking. They have to pay him so much that you can't afford to pay anyone else <laughs> like Dana's oh, crunching the numbers like the, the staff in the back is adding stuff up on their old school calculator with the little tape in it like you're doing your taxes and you take Connor's chunk out and you say we have this much left for Khabib and about 20 fighters who's gonna fight for this much money yeah you get a bunch of guys who make like Khabib's gonna get points and he's Khabib's probably gonna walk away two three million maybe. that's not bad for Khabib yeah, I mean, it, what, Nate walked away with, like, five from the yeah, Conor rematch? I mean, and then, you know, whatever undisclosed monies they get put out there as well. So, it makes sense. I mean, Conor's going to, he's making a boatload of money. And, and 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, like, whatever it is, I don't know, it'll eventually get disclosed, but it's going to be something ridiculous. You don't need to pay a bunch of other fighters. That's the business aspect of it. Of course, I want to see a loaded car with a bunch of great fights. But it, all everybody's anybody's paying for is Conor versus Khabib. Nobody gives a shit about what else happens on this fight. Conor's that kind of an attraction now. He's the attraction where He's nobody gives. A, yeah, yeah he, nobody gives a shit about the undercard. They don't care about nothing. Conor's such a big superstar. The bulk of the pay per view got bias. Like that's the thing. Hardcore fans only represent like the 150, the 200. Like that's all we represent in pay per view bias. The casual fan is the one that gets you to two million, four million, six million, whatever it is. Those are the people that know who Conor McGregor is and are just gonna buy it because it's like I need to have a party and have a bunch of people over and Conor's popular. That's it. They don't give a shit about the fight. They know nothing about Khabib at all, but they're gonna buy this fight. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm putting my over under. I'm putting over under at twenty five mil for Conor. You going over under? I'm going over. I'm going over too. Like disclosed money, not even points. I, I think they had to come off of a, a good thirty mil for Connor, plus some other shit. I, I like. I know Dana keeps saying that Connor doesn't have a piece of the company, but he's got a piece of something. Something like that. The what are they? Reebok. What? What that dude? They better be shilling out like, a couple mil. Something. He's, he's getting something. He's not. Connor's just not walking away with a bag of cash, and that's it. He's fighting for a reason to get paid. He's definitely getting paid. Now that we broke down the extracurriculars, who has the advantage in Octagon? We talked about it several times. I always thought Khabib would win. I thought Khabib has the perfect set of skills to beat Conor McGregor. 
I'm not sure. Like, Khabib has been pieced up a little bit since then. He always, It always ends. Like, the rounds always end the same. And he takes people's soul. But he's been hit. I'm, I'm not sold that he can take the punches from Conor. I think he gets him down in the first two rounds. But then what do you do in the third? To me, Conor gasses less if he's on the ground. Uh, and not exerting all his energy throwing haymakers. He gasses when he throws haymakers for long periods of time. When he's on the ground and just maneuvering and pop-shotting and covering up, I think he could survive that for two rounds, keep his energy, and, and try to knock him out in the third. So I, I can see it being even. Khabib is wildly disrespected in Vegas and on the books. Uh, I might have to put some money down on him because it's ridiculous for him to be, uh, what is he, like 200 or something? No, Khabib's a favorite. He's he's opened no, up. As like a, no yes, way. Yes, he opened up as a favorite. Khabib absolutely opened up as a favorite. Wow. He opened up as like a minus 180. Someone told me, as soon as it was booked, I forgot who put it out, and they were like, they were yo, wrong. he's like a plus 200. No, nah, they were wrong. Khabib is the favorite. Khabib is not the underdog in this fight. Really? I might put some money on Conor. Like, the line, is, the line is going to shift. Like, that, the late money is going to come in on Conor. And as time progresses, money will come in on Conor. But it opened up with Khabib. I want to say he was like... It might not Favorite be that to win at like minus 170 with McGregor yeah. coming back at plus 140. Yo, you're not going to get McGregor again at plus 140. No, if he beats Khabib, you're not getting any odds like that. So so let, let's talk about the fight. And, and like I said, I said after the Aldo fight, I've never been against Conor again. And I'm not for this fight. People say that this is the perfect opponent for Conor McGregor. Not entirely true. The, and the reason being is exactly to what you To lose, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, this is the perfect opponent for Conor to lose to. Because Khabib wrestles, and Conor hasn't proven to be anybody who can stop the takedown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every fight starts standing up. Conor is exceptional at controlling range and distance. Khabib is not a great striker. There is a perfect formula here for Khabib to get pieced up and knocked out in the second round. If It's really a matter of how, how has Conor been with the time off? Because I guarantee you the boxing has helped out a lot. Oh, yeah, it couldn't have hurt at all. So the, the issue is, did Connor get fat at all? Is there cage rust? Because it's really a matter of who, who gets to who first. If Connor gets pieces of Khabib first, this fight's over. If Khabib gets to Connor and gets through that striking first and proves that he can just kind of carve through him like butter, then it's over the other way. I'm picking Connor because every fight starts standing up, and I really, I've said it all the time, that Connor, the way he controls range and distance is unparalleled in MMA. He's exceptional at this shit. He knows exactly where he needs to be to land a strike. That Mendez and, fight scares the shit out of me, though. But that was the... Dude, it was the Mendez fight. You have to... Again, he fought Floyd Mayweather. He prepared in boxing, so it's different. Yes, Chad Mendez did get him down. Also, Chad Mendez is a collegiate-level wrestler. Khabib doesn't shoot for takedowns. It's a little different. Yeah, Khabib he, swallows you up. Yeah, he kind of puts you against the cage, trips you, and beats the hell out of yeah. you. So it's like Khabib has to close the distance. There is no, you know, like George St. Pierre shooting himself out of a cannon with a double leg takedown is a lot different than Khabib kind of finding his way in, grabbing you and then throwing you down. Like that's kind of like what Ronda does with her judo. It's like she can't shoot, but if she gets her hands on you, she's going to take you down. Khabib has to get through whatever storm that Connor puts up because Connor's going to meet him in the center of the octagon. Connor's whole game plan is never going to have his back against the cage. 
because that's a problem if he does that. He will lose if he puts his back against the cage. But if you look at the Alvarez fight, Conor met him at the center, and Eddie didn't know what to do. Yeah, he never because, backed up from there. And, he, and he, Eddie couldn't figure out how to get past Conor's reach. Because Conor has a great jab. There's a lot of things that Conor does. He had no chance against Floyd Mayweather, but in an MMA fight, he beats a lot of people up. The reason why Nate Diaz was able to beat him, aside from the size, is Nate Diaz is a pretty good striker and an exceptional grappler. That's the perfect recipe against Conor McGregor. Khabib's yeah. a little striking deficient. You got to have so, length, like Conor said. Conor was in line. Like, you got to have length. You got to have measurables. Nate's jab was able to keep Conor at bay at times. When Nate was in trouble and he got up from the canvas those couple of times, he just went back to circling, using the jab. And he controlled the distance. Let Connor, you know, and he was still eating the left hands, but they were grazing him because he was able to extend the distance. So instead of landing flush and dropping him on his ass, Connor was grazing him in the second round, throwing everything he could to close the distance and touch him a little bit. He won't have to do that against Khabib. Yeah, and again, I'm just really, I haven't really seen Khabib get hit. Like the thing about Khabib is he's looked, he's looked great against everybody, but. He hasn't really fought a top a top guy. Like he hasn't fought Tony Ferguson, which I would have liked to see first. I would like to see him against maybe another elite striker. Michael Johnson put his hands on him for a little bit. And Michael Johnson is nowhere near the level of striker that Connor is. So it's really a matter of who gets to deploy their game plan first. I'm picking Connor by a second round knockout today. I may change because if there's something <laughs> that I see, it could shift. But I'm not betting against Connor. And I'm just I'm just not doing it. I can't. Yeah, it's smart. Like, I, at first, I thought Khabib had, like, the perfect puzzle. But now, eh, by every day that goes past, I'm just like, I don't see Conor losing. I just oh, don't. He's yeah. good. So, um, let's talk about someone else I didn't see losing. I don't think you saw him losing either. I, honestly, I still don't think he lost. Demetrius Johnson, no longer UFC champion. And it, it's crazy. It's damn near unheard of. Like, something I never thought I'd see is Mighty Mouse dropped the belt and not be like a flash knockout. He got caught with something. No, he was outpointed for five rounds. And, you know, congrats to Henry Cejudo and a good game plan. I, I didn't see him winning this fight. I didn't either. I mean, look, Cejudo, the issue with a lot of people is that Demetrius didn't land a lot of strikes. Right. And, it, and I, I can understand that perspective. Look, it wasn't a highway robbery. I'm not going to say that. I just didn't think Cejudo won the fight because I felt like Cejudo took took Mighty Mouse down and didn't do shit with it. So if you're a judge and I, like I understand the judge's perspective on why they thought Henry Cejudo won. I disagree, but I understand it. Late in the round, Cejudo would get a takedown and kind of control, you know, Mighty Mouse until that scramble would happen. He would get up. But the lasting memory of the round was Cejudo on top of Demetrius Johnson. For at least three of those rounds. Yeah. So that, that became the issue. But like people were like, no, nah, it was easy, four to one. No, I didn't see that, my brother. I did not see four to one, but I understand where it came from. Look, Demetrius Johnson didn't do enough to keep Cejudo. Like Cejudo had the look, it's what I said last week. If Cejudo wrestles, he can win this fight. Like if he if he tried to become a striker, he's going to lose. And he wrestled. He did what he does best. He's he's Olympic gold medalist freestyle wrestler. He did exactly what he knew what to do. It wasn't about advancing position. It was about scoring the takedowns, putting DJ on the mat, and making sure the judges saw that. And that's what Tudo did. And, you know, he he won. I didn't personally, I thought Demetrius won three to two. But Sarah Sarah is what it is. And now we have a new champion. 
Yeah, um, I thought DJ won as well. I didn't think it was that close. Like, Cejudo taking him down and not doing anything doesn't really score points in my mind. I'm not sure, and this is what's always weird about MMA judges. I, I, I don't know who's back there at all times. I don't know how they scored those leg kicks. Because DJ might not have put his hands on him, but he kicked the hell out of his leg. A lot. And it changed the fight. Those count. To me, people are like, oh, a leg kick isn't really a score. Is a jab a scoring strike? Yes. Does it knock people out? Not often. Same thing with leg kicks. A leg kick to the lower leg is a jab. If you kick someone in the head, that's a hook. If you knee them in the face, that's an uppercut. But you know what? Sometimes jabs are just as effective. And that's what a leg kick is. And it should be scored as such. If you don't check it and it's killing your leg and you're hobbling halfway through the fight, you have to score these strikes. And I don't think the judges did that. Um, and I think that's what ultimately caused DJ the fight. And it was a good game plan. And I, I thought the kicks worked very well. But they didn't count the kicks at all. And, and that is sad. So now DJ, when he gets the rematch and there's no doubt that he deserves an immediate rematch. He has to make sure he throws his hands a little more and not rely on the leg kicks. So he, he leaves no doubt in the judges' minds that he won each round. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's absolutely necessary. You have to leave an impression on the judges. That's not what Johnson did. Like, Johnson fought a good, a good fight. This wasn't the best fight that Demetrius could have fought either. So... You know, it's it's one of those things, man. I mean, the, a wrestler is somebody who can neutralize Demetrius Johnson. It wasn't about speed. It was about putting DJ down. Um, judges, the criteria for MMA judging is still up in the air. Like, we still don't know really what wins you the round except for I think he beat him up more. I think we still score takedowns. Like, takedowns are scored like double a jab, like two or three times more than a punch landed. Like, takedowns are like, ooh. But if you don't do shit with it, it's always surprising yeah. me. Or if a guy pops back up, like, listen to Cormier. He was like, that's the takedown. It's like DJ hopped right back up. But that's what people see. And it's there is no there is no standard criteria in MMA judging. The 10-9, you know, the 10-point must system is still kind of flawed for MMA. Like boxing, it's like there's one discipline with throwing hands, and even that gets mucked up. If your name is Adelaide Bird, you never know what the fuck you're watching. <laughs> but MMA is a little bit different because, you know, I think the third round, DJ was winning handily, landing body kicks, landing strikes, and then Cejudo took him down. And just kind of pinned him there. And he didn't do anything. And in my mind, I was like, that's a DJ round. And then people were like, nah, Cejudo got the takedown. I'm like, did you guys forget all the body kicks? There's really no criteria on how to score. And it's like Max Kellerman always used to say, it's, I scored as, who's the person that I didn't want to be in that round? And I, I, I get that, but it's different. In boxing, the whole point is I'm punching you in the face. If I get taken down, I don't mind being taken down if you don't do shit with it. It's really hard to score MMA. And, it's, it's, and you know that's why they say don't leave it in the hands of the judges. That's kind of what happened. And the worst thing in MMA judging, the worst, octagon control. I don't understand it. No well, one I, understands it, Dre. No one knows what this is. They, like, they make this up and they say, well, he, he had octagon control. And... That's so. If you use that mentality in a boxing match, Floyd Mayweather is a counter strike. Loses kind of, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Because count, Floyd lays in wait and waits for you to fuck up and takes advantage of you, mm -hmm. and then does just enough to win the round. Like that. If you're a pressure fighter and you aren't doing anything, like the one a fight that you can look at and talk about pressure and octagon control. Like if you go back and look at boxing, you look at Canelo versus Arasandi Lara. 
and Canelo kept pressuring, 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 and Laura wasn't doing a whole lot. Those are those back and forth rounds when you don't really know what's happening. But there, I don't get it. Like Cejudo, yeah, he was he was bringing the fight to Demetrius. I don't know what the fuck that means. Was but Demetrius was circling. Like to me, Demetrius chose to circle and get in right. and out, and it's how he fights. So he wasn't out of control. He never relinquished control. Cejudo never took control of the octagon. DJ controlled the pace. He controlled what he wanted to do. It makes no sense. It was not, it's not, dude, octagon control is nonsensical. Octagon control to me is if I'm dictating every aspect of the fight. And it's like, it's not bringing the fight to somebody. Because even if you look at Anderson Silva, like today's the anniversary of Anderson Silva just beating up Forrest Griffin, who chased him and just got punched up. Then, I mean, is that the same thing? Like, because Forrest Griffin was chasing, he brought the fight to Anderson Silva, and look what that got him. A one-way ticket to, like, a, a, a similar Ali poster where Anderson was just standing over him. Dog, I think that control is complete bullshit. It's just a matter of who's landing the strikes. I get the who's bringing the fight to who, but you have to land punches. If I'm just running up to you, it yeah. doesn't really matter. So, or if no one's landing punches, like Wonder Boy versus Woodley, then you can concede to that. Yeah, and it's like, it's even, even that fight, you're like, well, who the fuck on that round? It's like... The, there's just weird criteria for these things, and again, it's like it's not. It wasn't highway robbery. I just didn't think DJ won. Like people were like, I can't believe that. Fuck you. That's what I thought. <laughs> like I'm not blind. A lot of other people thought the same thing. It was a very close fight. This was not a one-sided fight. Yeah, and then uh, you know you and your people of your ilk who vote in these UFC rankings, um, DJ's out of the top five pound for pound. Yes, he lost. He lost I mean, a split decision. Doesn't matter. He lost. DC's lost several times. He's number one. DC's lost once. Oh. And DC's won world titles again. Like, I understand. I'm not arguing for him to be over DC, but out of the but, top five. But here's, here's the issue with Demetrius Johnson. And it's always been the issue for Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius has been dominant in a division that doesn't have anybody. He's been great. But who is his rival? TJ Dillashaw has beat Cody Garbrandt, who was a champ, who beat Dom- Dominic Cruz, who was a pound-for-pound guy. Demetrius Johnson has not fought any pound-for-pound guys. For that reason, he, in my opinion, he falls out of the top five. That's not really that hard. Max Holloway beat up Jose Aldo twice, knocked him out. Jose Aldo, pound-for-pound guy, at least former pound-for-pound guy. Name the best fighter Demetrius Johnson has beat. Exactly. It's taking you too long. The magician. Who? John Dodson? John never Dodson. ranked pound for pound. I'm just saying that you need to say name the best fighters yeah. beat. John Dodson. So the moment that you lose... Benavidez? Yeah, so the moment that you lose, you fall out. Because you, like, you should be watching everybody at a certain point. Because no, like we said, it's a wasteland in flyweight. There is no legitimate competition for DJ until Cejudo came along. But then the thing is, Cejudo lost to Joseph Benavidez. So it's like... Yeah, now Cejudo's a pound-for-pound guy because he beat DJ, but he's not... Would you put Cejudo over Demetrius Johnson in the pound-for-pound rankings? No. No, because there was a split decision. My eyes told me he didn't win. So, for me, like, Daniel Cormier, Conor McGregor, TJ Dillashaw, Max Holloway, those guys are easily over Demetrius Johnson right at this very moment. You could even argue, like, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Demetrius Johnson have a kind of a same career trajectory. They've beaten up a lot of guys with no pound-for-pound guys. None. So the moment they lose, it's going to hurt. So that's why Demetrius falls out. And you got, you got to win that fight. Like, you knocked out Cejudo the first time in, like, two minutes. You have to win that fight. 
split decision loss, you still lost. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> right? Like, uh, I mean, I yeah, mean, he, they got to run it back. Like, they got to run it back. Yeah, there's really, to me, like I wrote that piece on Sport News, there's a legitimate argument that TJ Dillshaw is the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. There's a legitimate argument that can be made. I don't agree with it, but there's an argument. Because of what Dillashaw, what, Did he? He did. I thought he no, lost that fight. But there's a lot of people that didn't. Like, if somebody saw the fight a different way, like two fights, TJ Dillashaw has never been dominated. He lost two fights. Was he, he knocked was out? Well, he was knocked out on the Ultimate Fighter. But he's a completely changed fighter since then. Correct. Everybody Not even him. the same guy. Not even so. And that's like that's seven years ago. Yeah. The Sunset fight, a lot of people thought Dillashaw won. The Cruz fight, there's a lot of people that thought Dillashaw won. Dillashaw could very well be undefeated. And he and Dominic Cruz was a top three pound for pound guy. And getting better. So it's like Dillashaw's he, I mean, he's a frightening guy. He's one of the best guys. Like I he's one of the best guys that makes martial arts. Like I said, I mean we'll we'll talk about it, but I said it. He fights better in the rematches. He dusted off Cody like he wasn't shit the second time around. Yeah, it wasn't he even had him figured out. He had him figured out. So Cormier gets it by virtue of I'm Daniel Cormier. I've beaten the best heavyweight guy, and I'm, I was lightweight, light heavyweight champion. John Jones was here. Cormier wouldn't be number one pound for pound. He also beat the best middleweight ever. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's on the record. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. But, yeah, Demetrius Johnson has to run it back with Cejudo. He doesn't want to move up. Demetrius Johnson did lose to Dominic Cruz at Bantamweight. There are reasons why it's perfectly viable for him to not be top five. He's not falling out of the pound-for-pound ranks, but he's not top five anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, the rematch, if he wins, I think he has to be considered again. But yeah. talking about TJ Dillashaw and Cody, you touched on it, made Cody look even worse than the first matchup. Um, and, and to me, Cody did a lot of it to himself as well, where D- Dillashaw knew what he was going to do. He knew that he couldn't contain his emotions. He knew that he couldn't stop himself from getting a firefight. And TJ gets clipped again, and Cody just rushes in blindly. And TJ, it would have surprised me if he was playing a little bit of possum. Of course. And just made it look like he was hurt a little bit more than he was from that right hand. And then as soon as we get Cody rushing in, TJ throws it, and he knows the right hand is going to drop, and Right on a button again, and it, it was nothing Cody Garbrandt could do. The knee to finish it off pretty much was just, oh, it, it just seems like that's one of the blows, one of the strikes where it's like, you know what? Cody Garbrandt might not be the same again. He won't, and then, but that's what I said, his ego. My, my concern with this fight was his ego. Can he put his ego in check? Can he put his emotions in check? Can he game plan properly for a master game planner? He can't, he and that's what he did so well against Dominic Cruz. Dominic will fall to the ground. He let him back up. He said, I'm not chasing you. I'm not overcommitting. I will put you down again. I got this all night. And he can't do that against TJ. He refuses to do that against TJ. Well, no, but he can't. Like, not only could he not, like, he's just incapable. Like, the Dominic Cruz fight was... Styles make fights. Like, MMA math doesn't always work. You beat this guy, you're not... You don't necessarily beat this guy. Correct. T.J. Dillashaw had Cody scarred, scouted from the jump. And again, the thing about T.J. Dillashaw is he makes those adjustments. Well, once he sees what you're doing, if you're unable to go to a plan B, he's going to fuck you up. And that's exactly what Cody did. He did the same thing. Like, he, he comes wide. Like if, The if same combo hurt, three times in a row. Yeah, like if, if he hurts you, 
he comes wide with the right hand. He leaves his, he puts, he drops his left hand, throws his right hand like a hook every time. So if you stay in the pocket and you counter him, you're going to catch him because his head's right there. He's never going to figure that part of his game out. And if he does figure that part of his game out, everything else will suffer. Cody Garbrandt, I'm not saying he's done, but yeah, in this in this division that is pre- pretty interesting because I think, you know, now that you've lost twice, you need to go fight Jimmy Rivera. That's where Cody needs to go from here. Fight Jimmy yeah, Rivera. But then, and then it's like, okay, this division, people say in this division, TJ says in this division, but Cody wasn't big the next day. Cody came in, I think he weighed 146 the yeah, next no, he, day. No, he could stay at Bantamweight. It's, yeah, it's rough. You stay at Bantamweight, you fight Jimmy Rivera. You fight Jimmy Rivera, John Lineker, or John Dodson. You fight one of those three guys. Him and John Dodson would be a decent fight. And I think yeah. he still beats a lot of those guys. He may. You don't fight Marlon Moraes. Marlon Moraes is the one guy. Marlon Moraes should get the title shot over Dominic he Cruz. He should, but he's not because Dominic Cruz won. Beat TJ Dillashaw. They need to run Dillashaw Cruz back. Dillashaw's got to wipe that one off his record. So then Marlon Marais, but I don't know what Marlon Marais does in the meantime. I mean, does he try to get the win back against the Sun South for an eliminator? That's probably what's going to happen. I don't see what's wrong with that. But then you're looking at the possibility of Dillashaw Cruz again. Cruz beats Dillashaw. Then what? Does well, Dillashaw not deserve a third fight? If Cruz beats Dillashaw, no. Like, if Cruz beats Dillashaw again, then it's like two to nothing. So then Marlon Race is the immediate number one contender. If Dillashaw wins against Cruz, if he wins handily, I mean, I, either way, I don't think you run back a third fight with Cruz and Dillashaw, no matter what happens. There's too many guys. I mean, Marlon Race deserves a crack at the title. Yeah, I mean, there's only one guy, and that's Marlon Race. Yeah. Like, uh, like Lineker, he's not hurting. Like, it's... Rivera's probably the closest guy that there was that he took out. No, well, Rafael Sunset is the other one. He hasn't had his title opportunity yet. He's done pretty much everything that you need to do. So it's, it's probably why... Oh, I thought we were assuming that he loses to Moraes. Or the winner. The winner goes on. Right? The that winner. Like, that's why they need to go ahead and make that fight. I know people are going to be like, well, you're eliminating somebody. Well, Moraes has only lost to the UFC was to Rafael Sunset, and the Sunset has been begging for a title fight. He's not going to get it. So you need to go with TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz, with those two in eliminated. Yeah. And it sucks to tell a son's out. You know what? You beat this guy, but you got to beat him again. Yeah. It's, 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 like, it's uh, kind of way, it's the way the ball bounces. I mean, shit. The first fight was close, so do it again. Clear the air. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, that's pretty much UFC for this past weekend. Let's talk a little boxing real quick. Before we get into... The ghost of Sergey Kovalev. Um, I want to talk to you about an article I saw today that I was like, hmm, perked my ears up a bit. Manny Pacquiao maybe bringing his talents to the zone. What's what's up? Inside information? Oh, uh, we talked to Eddie Hearn. It was our our piece. We oh, talked it was to you? Eddie okay. Hearn. Okay. Yeah, was, we talked to Eddie Hearn yesterday um, for the press conference for the October six card, which I will not be at. I'll be in Vegas, but um. We asked him, you know, about free agents, and uh, he talked about making a bigger offer to Mikey Garcia. Uh, asked about Pacquiao, and you know, he, th- he revealed that him and Manny Pacquiao are talking, and um, he just says Pacquiao wants a lot of money. He doesn't want to fight in the states, and the zone, the state side versus the zone, wants to have more fights in the states. But there is a fight that makes a whole lot of sense if they can get it made, and it'd be one with the Khan. It makes a ton of sense. 
just a matter of, you know, can you get him to sign on the dotted line to fight for the zone? So I, I think this is it's, – it's plausible. Uh, Manny's a free agent. He's looking for the best dollar signs. He's looking for a fight with probably the least resistance. And I think Amir Khan fits the bill. Uh, no, I think that's a good fight. You're right. It sells. That's, that's the key point, right? Like, yeah. it sells, and that's what Pacquiao needs at this point is to sell. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if – I mean, Pacquiao has no other options. Like, when I heard it, I was like, you know what? This is the best option for him. It's true. Because where, where else do you go? Like, if you don't want to mess with Bob anymore, this is the best option for you because you have someone who's going to put up the money for you to fight whoever you want to fight. Yeah. You know, whatever I, – I, I'm sure it's – Manny's asking for some ridiculous number, so I'm sure they'll have to figure all that out. But, but Eddie Hearn's got the money. Manny Pacquiao needs the money. Um, they have the perfect opponent. Amir Khan fights Samuel Vargas on September 8th. So it makes perfect sense to line up an Amir Khan-Manny Pacquiao fight. Um, they could do it anywhere in Europe because Amir Khan's still huge overseas. So they could do it anywhere. They could do it in Birmingham. They could do it in uh, – they could do it wherever. They'll fill the place up, and it'll do well. And I think, again, it's a winnable fight for Manny Pacquiao. It's like you don't have to put him in there with Vasily Lomachenko or – Terrence Crawford, you don't have to get him, get him murdered. You just put him in there with somebody that he, he could probably beat, that it actually would be a good fight. I think an American fight would be a really good fight. No, yeah, I didn't even think about that as a possible opponent, but I like it. Like, you know, I, if he was with Bob, you know, I've been wanting him to just pass the torch, fight Crawford, whatever, whatever. But I think that time has passed. I, I think he's done catering to Bob Arum, and now it, it's going and getting whatever – money is there for Manny. And Manny brings a lot of legit, uh, legitimacy to the zone. Yeah, He brings a big audience there. So people at least get to, to see what it's about. Yeah, Even if it's free trial, whatever, he just brings the eyes. So I, I think it's a, a great partnership. Um, now let's talk about Kovalev. Because that's someone we won't be seeing on the zone because he might not fight again. I, I think Andre Ward, on the knockout, the first one, I thought Kovalev won the first fight. There was no doubt, no doubt that Ward was ready for the second fight and that Kovalev had nothing for him. And that showed leading into the knockout. And Kovalev wasn't the same fighter. I, I thought he settled into a groove kind of in the, in the middle. Like, you know, after the first two, three rounds of this fight, I thought we were going to get the same old Sergey Kovalev, and then boom, it was over. Yeah, I mean, Elder Alvarez, I mean, he's always been a dangerous fighter. I just didn't think that Kovalev would just, I don't know what happened. Because it was one of those things where Alvarez would hit Kovalev, and Kovalev was like, all right, I can deal with this. And he would kind of come forward, because Kovalev's always been a pretty good boxer, too. So he started landing the bigger shots, he started walking them down, and then he just got hit, and he just he didn't recover. And it's really... And, I mean, all three knockdowns, they were all brutal. But that first right hand was just like, well, where the hell did that come from? So, yeah, and it, it sucks for HBO because they just paid Kovalev a shitload of money to continue to fight on HBO. And it's like, well, <laughs> like, now what do you do? Where does Kovalev go from here? Like, Dimitri Bivol was on the undercard, and Dimitri was supposed to fight. They were looking towards a fight with Kovalev, but it looks like we have a Dimitri Bivol and, and, and Alvarez fight coming up because Kovalev is probably damaged goods now. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy how fast it happened. 
Life came at him fast. And to me, he did look good at certain points of the fight. I thought he was settling in. He did. He was in control. And he just... It, one thing led to another surprise, and he just got clipped, and that was, it was a wrap. The chin never recovers. No, nah, he was cooked. And that was, was that was the end of it. Um, we don't really have boxing coming up, so that's kind of crazy. We get to take like a couple-week hiatus from boxing before we gear up the Triple G uh, Canelo madness, which still seems eerily calm right now. Like, I don't feel the big buzz for it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's coming. It's don't a worry. month away. I, I just yeah. hope they don't do it like the last one. The last one, we were like, yo, we barely heard about this. And we are at the fight. Like, what's going on? It still sold a nice little bit. Pay-per-views probably could have been higher. But I was like, yo, the, the buzz isn't there. The buzz in the city wasn't there. This one better be up there. Like, this, we need it. We need that big fight feel. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get it when the time comes. I think we're... It's still, it's still ramping it up. Um, I know Tom Loeffler has been not very complimentary of how Canelo's been handling media day. They had media day in Big Bear today. I was supposed to go, but I'm not going to Big Bear. Um, so they're getting ready to gear up for this fight. I'm sure they'll make a couple of little runs here. I'm sure the guys will show up on ESPN um, and everywhere else. And there's, there's legitimate bad blood. The fight's still going to be big. Nothing's going to change. Everybody's still going to watch it. So, I mean, it, it's quiet now, but, yeah, we do have a month to go. And then the last thing I want to touch on boxing before we get into this pro wrestling to end the show is I was watching this Roy Jones Jr. documentary. It just it just caught me. And I was in it and I watched it for like a good hour. And the whole premise behind this, and it was it might have been even like on a YouTube documentary with like a collection of his stuff. Could have been ESPN Plus. But um the whole premise was is Prime Roy Jones the best fighter in history? In his prime, like, and they they highlighted like the three years he was pound for pound best fighter ever, and some of the things he did and athleticism, and they showed you know the downfall. They showed him getting robbed in Olympics, everything in between. But in his prime, they highlighted those three years and said no one has ever boxed like this, moving up so many divisions and making it look easy against undefeated champions. Yeah, I mean, Roy was... He's better at, than Tyson. I, I started thinking. I was like, okay, if you yeah. put prime Mike Tyson there, Tyson still didn't face the challenges prime Roy Jones faced. Well, look, look, Roy Jones is the greatest athlete I've ever seen in boxing. He broke every rule in the book. If you watch a Roy Jones fight, and it was the one thing, like I said this like a long time ago, like, it had to be like, it was before the second target, it was before the first target fight when Floyd was still coming up. Because they were considered around the same time the two best fighters in the world. But the problem was that I always said is Roy lacks discipline. And I don't mean discipline in the gym or anything like that. I mean discipline in the ring. He does things like he pulls his head back. Like the fundamentals is what Floyd has always had. Defensively, if he slowed down, it never really mattered. Because Floyd was defensively uh, a wizard. Roy was all athleticism. The shit that Roy did in the ring, the punches that he threw, the angles that he threw those punches at... They were, they were just strictly being an athlete. And he was my favorite fighter to watch, like, ever. Because watching Roy Jones beat up people was well, unparalleled. Over Tyson and the knockout. Yeah. Well, the Tyson I, fights were quick. Yeah, the Tyson fights were quick. But the level of athletic, the things that Roy did, Roy, Roy was unbelievably talented. And you look at, like, people were like, oh, he didn't fight anybody. But people forget, early in his career, he beat Bernard Hopkins and James Tony. Yeah. Yeah, like, that, I mean, that's the part that they highlighted. 
And yeah. Hopkins was on a roll. Yeah, like Steve like Hopkins never he Hopkins didn't lose after Roy Jones until he lost to Jermaine Taylor. Like that's when Hopkins became the middleweight champion, defended it the record amount of times before Golovkin came along. And you know, there was there, it was all because of Roy. Like Roy, when did Hopkins go to jail? Oh, uh, it was that was long, long, long time ago. Oh, okay. was, yeah, it had nothing to do with his career. Um, but Roy was the only middle, pure middleweight that moved all the way up to heavyweight and won a world title. He beat John Ruiz. And John Ruiz wasn't a fun guy to watch fight. He wasn't a fun fighter, period. He was a tough, ugly fighter the way he fought. But Roy beat him up. Roy, I wouldn't say Roy would be the pound for pound best, but he'd be up there. But he just lacked discipline, man. That was my only problem with Roy is he lacked discipline. Who's better in their prime? Out of who? Out of any. Like, who's in their prime? If you take the, each fighter... His best performance. Who's the most dominant boxer of all time? Goodness, I mean, you probably have to go with Sugar Ray Robinson. I mean, the he's my Sugar- he's my best boxer of all time. But it's like in his prime. I mean, like a one off. Is he better than Ray Leonard at his prime? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, it, but this, this, see, this is tricky because it also comes down to weight class. Like, what weight class are we talking about? Because That's true. It, you know, Roberto Duran at lightweight was unbeatable. Like, Roberto Duran was murdering people. Tommy Hearns was, you know, like, Tommy Hearns is probably somebody would would have gave Floyd a super hard time in the ring because of his height and his reach and his power. There's a lot of people that think Tommy Hearns would have beat Floyd. I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. The but measurables the way, are there. If you're yeah, going to beat Floyd, the measurables are there. Weight class matters. So guys like Roy Jones, like, if we're talking about light heavyweight Roy, if we're talking about middleweight Roy. Middleweight super, Roy. I don't count light heavyweight. I mean, light heavyweight was the one who lost to Tarver, um, but he was also the one that, you know, light heavyweight. Did he beat Montel Griffin? Light I feel like a lot of that athleticism came off when he went to light heavyweight. Like, at first, he, the, the initial jump was okay, but eventually, like, the size wore down the athleticism. Well, no, this is what happened. Like, I, I mean, I actually own every single one of Roy Jones' fights on DVD, all, all of them. Your boxing catalog is ridiculous, though, if people yeah. don't know. Roy Jones, the thing that killed Roy Jones was moving up to heavyweight and trying to move back down to light heavyweight. And then it, was, it became hard for him. His body didn't react the same. He, he put so much weight on to move up to heavyweight, so when he had to pull himself down to light heavyweight, it drained him. So the first fight with Tarver, if you watch that fight, it was the burst wasn't there. Like He fought in spurts because he was trying to conserve energy. The second time, he just rolled out of bed and was a hair slower and Tarver called him with a left hook and it changed Roy's life. Because... He never did things that he was supposed to do in the ring. He didn't really block punches with his hands. Like, watch a Roy Jones fight. He doesn't do anything you're supposed to do as a fighter. A trainer would beat Roy up because he'd be like, what are you doing? You're going to lose doing that. But Roy was so good, it didn't bother him. So, prime Roy was like, is one of the top five guys. Like, peak Roy, the only other issue is he didn't really fight a lot of... I mean, he made a lot of people look like nobodies, body headbangers. But, um... He didn't really fight like top guys either. He's kind of was in that Demetrius Johnson ship for a minute. That division was wafer thin. Until he decided to move up and, and fought really good fight. Uh, even then, I mean, you look at the guys he fought. None of them were Hall of Famers or even close. How many so, Hall of Famers were there at that time? Like, like I feel I'm like saying, that was a barren time, though. Like, can we can we agree on that? Like. But it's only you can only do it with what's the competition that's there, and that's the Demetrius Johnson factor. You can only deal with the level of competition that's presented in front of you, and you need to dominate that competition. And that's what Roy did. He dominated who was in front of him. So it's hard, man. Like he always be my favorite fighter to watch, 
But I best, you know, like Muhammad Ali in his prime, like Cassius Clay, unstoppable. Um, Joe Frazier in his prime was a devastating force. Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearns, Roberto Duran, Pernell Whitaker, Sugar Ray Robinson. Like these guys, Aaron Pryor, like I, I don't know. But Roy is just the best athletic specimen I've ever seen. Yeah, so you have Roy. Yeah, yeah it gets a little thin. Knocking out the Eric Hardings of the world. Yeah, I mean, Derek you know, Harmon. they were decent fighters, but these aren't guys that anybody will remember. And you got to remember the other thing about Roy that hurt him is he was like self-promoted. So he wasn't he had no allegiance to a promoter. Yeah. So because of that, you know, there were a lot of fights that just weren't there. You know, that he just didn't end up fighting because he, he chose, chose to promote himself. He put himself in arenas where nobody was really at. Like Roy should have been a, if Roy was around during social media, Roy would have been a megastar. Because he could have promoted himself. But in those in that era, there was really nowhere for him to go. Oh, man. I forgot he beat Trinidad. That's a black eye on Trinidad. There's some ugly fights there. Uh, no, I agree. It was just a crazy thing to think about. It's like, yo, Roy. And them showing it, they, they showed a lot to back up their statement. I was like, yo, Prime Roy was a nasty dude. And I knew you were a Roy fan. And you have him in high regard. Higher than, you know, even a lot of people do. Like, when you go to the the greats of the sport. A lot of people kind of leave him out. Um, yeah, now, he did just... that to himself because he, he he continued to fight. That was Roy's, my biggest issue was Roy. And it's one thing, like if I ever were to talk to Roy, I'd be honest, I'd be like, I mean, if he ever asked me, I'm like, the only thing that hurts you is you kept fighting. Like if you care about where you stand pound for pound all time, the only thing that hurts you is you continue to fight. After that last Tarver fight. Yeah, it's just you continue so. to fight. Like the, the first Tarver loss, then it was the... You know, the Glenn Johnson, that brutal knockout, and then losing to Tarver again. Those three consecutive losses, you could have walked away because you were done. You could have walked away, and people would have been like, ah, you know, top 50. But you continue to fight, and you continue to fight. And that was and, – and the, the second Tarver loss was in 2005. And he's still fighting. He just fought in 2018. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I don't count those Russia fights. It's just – it's what Roy did to himself. I know he likes to fight, but – that's what hurt his legacy. People have more lasting memories of Royce not being good than Roy being good. All right. Let's dive into this pro wrestling before we got to get out of here. Most of it's just New Japan because we're coming down to the wire of G1. And it's the final days. A block and B block are rounding out. Uh, people are being mathematically eliminated at this point. And let's start with A block because to me, A block is, you know, it's the little brother of the two. And that. That's all right. Like, you know, not everyone could be a star. And it looks like we're coming down to Tanahashi and Okada. Yeah. For the win. Um, the ace is good, but Okada has to win. Okada has legit history with everyone on the B block who can win. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go from a narrative perspective, it's uh, it makes sense. Okada lost his first couple matches. Roared back. He's still got this weird balloon thing going on. Yeah, every year he roars back. Yeah. And I don't like the red hair. Oh, um, but this version of Okada, a lot of people don't like, but Okada should win the, the A block outright. Um, there's still Jay White lingering, but I don't think that'll matter. Uh, you know, hopefully Jay White loses to Evil. But that, that's the interesting thing. If Jay White beats Evil and Okada beats Tanahashi, Jay White wins the A block because Jay White owns the tiebreaker over Okada. So. They, they they build these scenarios out to be real interesting on the final night. Um, but I don't think there's any reason why Okada shouldn't win. 
because, like you said, I mean, between Omega and Naito alone, there's two narratives that can play out there. They could go a different route because the year that Goto made it to the final, I didn't see that happening. Um, but I just don't think Jay White's ready for that kind of spotlight. And Tanahashi's had it so many times. I don't think they need to go that route either. No, I, I agree. I, I think Okada is the logical way to go. Um, and A Block has kind of just been there. Like every other day, it's like, okay, you can kind of skim through, watch the final two matches at A Block. But it hasn't been too exciting. But every year, there's a superior side of it. And uh, usually, it's the B side of the tournament. And no different this year. B Block has had some amazing matches, most featuring Ishii or Bushi. They've just been tearing it up. Um, and now we have Abushi with the possibility of winning, Omega with the possibility of winning, and somehow Naito's still in the mix. Yeah. Um, I said from the beginning Naito's going to win. My, my red herring was I thought maybe Abushi would win. I think they're slow playing that. I don't think we're getting that right now. Um, but I knew Omega was going to lose to Toriyano. Like, it had to happen. Because if Omega won, he would have already won the B block. That doesn't happen. There would be no purpose for the final night. So Omega had to lose to some nonsense with the, the Tamatanga running. But it, there's a couple red herrings in this thing as well. If Naito went, beats that Sabre Jr., which I fully expect him to, and the Omega-Ibushi match, which will headline, that's going to go to a draw. That's just my prediction. Like a real draw, like they run out of time, or the, the time time's go. going down and Ibushi refuses to pin no, Omega. No, no. Like it'll be it'll be a time limit draw. It'll be it'll be Omega trying. It'll be, those guys will try to win down the stretch, but that's that's what will happen because it leaves it wide open for Omega and Ibushi to wrestle at some other point because neither got the upper hand of the either. And Naito sneaks into the final with the draw because if, if Okada wins, I mean not Okada, if Omega wins, um, if Ibushi wins, he has the tiebreaker over Naito, I believe. Um, so Naito has to win and he has to hope for a draw. It's the only really way that this can go. And on top of that, it makes perfect sense for Naito to win, face Okada, who he lost to at Wrestle Kingdom, and then Omega and Ibushi can team up to wrestle the firing squad on the final night because they've obviously had problems with those guys. So it seems like that's the route they should go. I said Naito should win because, I mean, his time is coming. So I, this, you know, it just feels like the right way to go. A lot of people's like, well, you know, Naito backing into a win – doesn't feel right. Too bad. That's Naito. Like, him and Okada will be a great final. Okay, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be a bad final. Like, let's just get that straight, right? Like, Never I, I, I wanted to see Kenny Omega go through and win just because what happens when champion's there? He said he'll pick his opponent. Yeah. That puts the narrative on the next three months, you know? Does he pick his friend Abushi, who might say, we had an amazing match. I deserve the shot. Give me another chance. I want a shot at the title. Does he pick Naito, who will probably taunt him and chase him around for the belt? Is a guy like Tamatago, who's been interfering the whole time, deserving of the belt? Is that like a huge curveball that they can throw? So there's so many different options. Does he want Okada one more time on the big stage? I feel like Kenny has the best narrative because you can choose so many different things. But in the end, I think Ibushi does it. I think Ibushi wins, and they rematch at Wrestle Kingdom. Because I just don't want to see Naito lose another Wrestle Kingdom. We were talking about this yesterday. We are texting, and you put it in my head 
then Naito can go to Wrestle Kingdom and lose again. Yeah, he can. And the hell with that. I did it for one year. I was mad last year when he lost. I thought it was his time finally. I'm not doing it again. Yeah, I mean, but then, you're, you're, so you're saying that Ibushi beats Okada then in the final thing that Yeah, round. yeah, yeah. Ibushi wins this time, and then they, they rematch at Wrestle Kingdom. Like I don't like I don't mind the Ibushi winning narrative. I just really think they're gonna slow play the hell out of Ibushi and Omega to the point where it's not now, it's a year from now. So it's it's one of those things I just don't think they're ready to do it yet. I think Gato's gonna some more things will have to happen to set up the drama between those two. And I don't see that happening just yet. I think we're getting Naito and Okada in the final, and Naito's finally gonna beat Okada because Okada beat him at Wrestle Kingdom. So I think Naito gets that win. Naito gets another crack at the title against Kenny Omega, probably if Omega doesn't lose the title, which I don't see happening, at Wrestle Kingdom. In a huge match, because Naito's super over. Super so, over. He, he hasn't cooled off at all. Yeah, so I think that's the route that they go. I don't know what happens to Okada if he doesn't win. But um, it's it, we'll see. It's interesting. That, you know, The finals are on Saturday night at 11 p.m. Pacific time. I'm actually going to have to do a live, well, kind of a live blog for it. Um which is going to be interesting because I don't know how I'm going to stay awake, but I'm going to give him my best shot. You'll be all right. I'm sure you'll have help. The little one will keep you awake. Nah, she'll probably pass out. Oh, she sleeps now. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, then that's always the thing. Worst comes to worst, you can just give her sugar. Really late, she'll be up all night. You'll be fine. You'll hate it when the wrestling is over and you're trying to go to sleep. But you deal with that at the end. Um, talking about, you know, the future booking and who faces who, it seems like they're going, the indies are going all in for both all in and the G1 Supercard. Should the WWE be threatened is the question. And I don't think so. But a lot of people on Twitter seems seem to think they should. To me, they got their money. You can't be threatened about anything when your money's there. And these people are scrounging to get, you know, a percentage of what you make all the time. Um, so I, I think there's enough money in wrestling now and it's cool enough and it's back in the conscious for everyone to eat. And we're just seeing more people eat, uh, whether it's MSG, Brooklyn, people are like, oh, they're going to sell out Madison Square Garden. WWE hasn't done it in six years. Yeah, because they haven't put a major pay-per-view there. Like a house show, a glorified house show, wouldn't do it. If they wanted to put NXT and MSG, it would probably sell out. So I'm wondering, do you think they should be threatened? Should they go and pillage these rosters to try to knock down the indies? Or should they just let it rock because there's enough for everyone? No, they shouldn't be threatened. They should be aware. That's all. You need to be aware of your competition. You don't need to be threatened by them. I mean, people go to WrestleMania because of WrestleMania. So it's like NXT TakeOver shouldn't be threatened. They may, the G1 um, ROA shows may pull some people away from it. But it's not like the NXT shows don't sell out and there's people that are going to still want tickets. So they, sh- they shouldn't be threatened. There's nothing really there yet. New Japan's, you know, they don't have a- the New Japan World Service doesn't have a ton of subscribers. So it's not anything that they should worry about, but they should always be keep an eye out for what they're doing. I, I mean, dude, you said pillage roster. That's the last thing I want to see. I don't want to see anybody else go to WWE for a while. They got to chill. <laughs> it's just, it's too, again, I say it every week, it's too much. So, but yeah, the, don't worry, like, don't necessarily worry about it, but keep tabs on what New Japan is doing. Because that G1 show is pretty going to be a pretty big show. I'm sure of it. Like, oh, yeah, they're stacking show. that card. There's yeah. no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I mean, the, they should. If you're, you just you're aiming for the garden, you have to. 
you just can't be lazy. You know, you can't put on a, a, a lazy WrestleMania weekend takeover with a decent card. When was the last time they had a lazy takeover? With all that talent, they're not going to have a lazy takeover. They should. I mean, they should. I mean, honestly, they should extend the time on these takeovers because, you know, the takeover show is, what, still two and a half hours long? Yeah. So and it's we like have to sit through six hours of a main roster card. But we get stretch. two and a half hours of takeover. Yeah, so it's a matter of, you know, don't be lazy. Um, stop calling people up. Let this talent flourish and put, it, put your best foot forward. Continue to do that, you'll be fine. Because there's people that are always going to be loyal to the WWE product. But, yeah, you have we're, to... We're two of yeah. them. You begrudgingly watched the WWE today and caught up on everything. Yeah, but I, but I watched Z1 first. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I got through G1, but I'm going to watch WWE. Like, I'm a slave to the product. Like, as much as I talk trash about it, like, I'm about to watch NXT because I missed, didn't watch it last night as soon as this is done. So I'm a slave to the product. But, like, for me, it's such a difficult decision whether I'm going to G1 or TakeOver next year. I have no idea what I'm doing. I got to go to TakeOver, but I might buy my G1 tickets anyway. Yeah, like, I, I, I haven't decided yet. I, I may have to wait and see the cards. I may buy tickets to both. So, we'll see. And then, spoiler alert, because you haven't watched NXT, but guess what? We're doing a podcast. Podcast comes first. Um, regardless, I mean, you wouldn't see it on there anyway. Afterwards, they scripted a segment that went straight to yeah. social media. Alistair Black getting jumped in the parking lot. Came out today on social media. Just as we were recording this podcast, as a matter of fact that William Regal is taking a trip to the hospital in the emergency room and Aleister Black is officially out of the main event at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn and the match will now be between Ciampa and Gargano, a last man standing match. How much does this hurt Aleister Black? Because to me, he's had a lackluster title reign in general. He finally gets that main event moment built in with these two guys who have proven to carry the main event. And now there's, it's over and until he comes back and they'll force him back into there. But this was his moment and it hurts. It hurts. Um, but it depends on how they play this because this is the Tommy angle happening all over again. Everybody remembers when the Tommy got attacked before he, when he got hurt. Yeah. And, and they, but like, he was gone for like two years. Well, that's the, that was the problem. By the time he was back, everybody that could have done it was gone. Balor was gone. Owens was gone. Everybody was gone. So they never picked up on that storyline anymore. Black is a little bit different because it's a groin injury and it's something he can return from in like a month. So, if, you know, they can pick up and say, okay, well, who attacked Aleister Black? And it could, it could work out for him. I don't, I don't think he was winning the title anyway in this triple threat match. What? I, I thought he was going to win. No, I, I feel like Ciampa was going to... I think Chav is going to hold on to that title for a minute. I think I think it's a smart thing to do. But who's it's the smart. next baby face to challenge? Everyone's a heel. Oh, I don't know. Like, like everyone's a heel, right? Like, well, like, Adam Cole deserves a push soon, and if he drops it, yeah. well, if he drops it to Ricochet, then he gets the push. You look at Dream. If you want to go the Dream route, EC3, who's better as a heel, even though he's a tweener right now. It just it just feels like Champa having the title elevates that title a lot more than Alistair Black having it. Because a, a, a heel with that much heat makes the chase so much better. Ultimately, maybe Gargano does get it away from Ciampa, but because we all want Ciampa, we all want Gargano to get that title. Like Everybody's like, yeah. I really want him to get that title. Just to raise That's, it once. Like, yeah, but if that triple threat match was happening, I think Ciampa was still running out with that title. 
So it might change this weekend. I mean, next weekend with Ciampa versus Gargano one-on-one. But I don't think Black was winning that title anyway. So I think the the whoever attacked him, however they figured out who attacked him and play that in there, I think he'll be fine. But yeah, his title run wasn't what anybody thought it was going to be. And it's your favorite stipulation, last man standing. Yeah. Which is always... Uh, I hate last man standing. I know. <laughs> and it's I hate, for good I hate, reason. Like it, it changes the, yeah, it changes the pacing. I was hoping to see a Hell in a Cell, but it might be too late to finagle yeah, the Cell. I, I, I predicted Hell in a Cell like uh, like six months ago, that this would culminate at Hell in a Cell. I don't know why they didn't go that route. It's last probably too late to construct it. Yeah, well, it's never too late. The WWE has more than enough money to construct a cell. They can do that. Um, they do steel cage matches just out of thin air, so they could do that if they really wanted to. Last man standing matches with somebody counting, and it's always rooms from some nonsense too, where somebody's counting and somebody picks them up, or you put a. This last man standing matches suck, as we just saw with Nakamura and AJ Styles. They just don't add anything to the match, and they mess up the flow. But this is what it one is. One hour Iron Man match would have been good. Hmm. You I'm don't cool like one-hour matches? <laughs> I mean, it, it depends because, like, one-hour Iron Man matches for a heated feud like this don't really work out the same. The only thing that works out the same is a Hell in a Cell and blood because this is a blood rivalry. Like, to have a wrestling match to see who gets more pinfalls, not really the same. To have a Hell in a Cell and also a one-hour match, you know the first 30 minutes are probably going to be some weird stuff, and it all comes down to the last 10 minutes. It's the same formula in every one of those matches. Hell in a Cell, you don't know what's going to happen. And these guys could beat the hell out of each other. I would have preferred to see that. We don't get it. It's fine. I'm still here for it. Um, hopefully it's good. I just hate referee counting. They count for everything, and it's stupid. <laughs> now I agree. We've seen some good ones, but it seems like now in the main roster, and then watching the last one where the crowd hijacked it and started yeah. counting down the last 10 seconds of every like um, of that Rollins match, and they, they find a way to – in the Nakamura match, they started counting down. It's just – I, I believe the NXT crowd is better, but I don't want to leave it up to them. Like, I don't want to prove it. Um, and then we have Keith Lee debuted, so you'll watch that tonight. And we'll talk about that and what you think of it and their direction with him. 205 Live was dope. Finally getting a SummerSlam match. But it's not the right two guys. Um, Mustafa Ali last night again showed why he should get that. Make sure you watch 205 Live today. Have it on in background. The main event was really good. Um, Mustafa Ali just keeps delivering. And it was the first time Hideo Tommy actually looked like Kenta <laughs> in the WWE ring. It was his best match by far in the WWE ring. And it was great. Great main event again. 205 Live keeps delivering. Um, main roster this week. Since you actually watched it, better late than never, Ronda Rousey's first Raw match headlined Raw, which used to be a big thing. But now it's like ho-hum, whatever. Versus Foxy. What'd you think of Ronda in the ring? I mean, she looked fine. The structure of the match was weird with, a, you know, Alicia Fox running around. I mean, it was what it was. You know, she still looks natural in the ring, but it's there's still, like, clunky moments. Yeah. And when she's still, on the mic and she goes from smiling to mean, something's still a little off. I mean, there's still work that needs to be done. The only way we're going to get that work if she continues to show up. That's really the only way we're going to get it. Well, she does um, the house shows, but that doesn't help with the character development. Yeah, like the uh, the modulation between being happy and then frowning is it's weird. Like the scowl, like get it because the scowl, like when Ronda used to walk out for UFC fights, that was like between that and playing Bad Reputation, it was an amazing walkout. But now they're trying to script it in, and it looks weird. Um, 
But I mean, cool. You know, she headlined Raw, so she beat Lisa Fox. Big deal. <laughs> well, she's coming for the belt in Alexa Bliss. I I think there might be shenanigans, so she doesn't win it. How early can you put the belt on Ronda? That's going to be the problem. Because if she wins it now, she has to carry it all the way to Mania. And she has to be the new Asuka. Well, it's... That gets tricky because, like, she does, she could win the title and lose it in, like, a triple threat match or something like that. Um, the whole women's roster, again, it revolves around Ronda, which doesn't leave room for women like Ember Moon to breathe. You got this whole Sasha. And Shit, I forgot Ember Moon was there. Exactly. So it's, like, it's really weird how you have five hours for wrestling and then people just disappear. Um, like, Ty Dillinger popping up on SmackDown. I'm like, holy shit. Um, Next to R-Truth, but- who gets camera time. Right. And says shuck and dive in a rap, but whatever. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, Ronda could win it now because I feel like I feel like they might want to put it on her. But then it's like, well, how do you carry it for the next several months in matches that are entertaining and don't lose the luster of Ronda? Like it, that Natalia turn just has to happen. I don't yeah. know when it's going to happen. Then it won't. It won't. To me, if, if you do that with Ronda, she won't be around a lot. She'll be Brock Lesnar. Yeah, like you. Yeah, I, I think it's a bad idea to keep putting her in the title picture. You're turning her into Roman Reigns. Like, keep her out of the title picture for a minute. Get into her into a meaningful feud. Like, what the hell's Nia Jax been? Like, it's Ross. So weird. It's um, Ronda and everyone else, and then oh, and then now the women's tag team division, which is the worst kept secret in the world. I mean, whatever. But yeah, it's I. I hope it's shenanigans. I hope Ronda doesn't get her hands on the title. I think it's too soon. I don't think she's built for matches to carry the title. Um, I think she gets it closer to the Royal Rumble, but I think she has to feud with Natalya. She has to. And then we had, yeah, I mean, that's not a bad way to wrap it up, but feud with Natalya without the title. Like Natalya cost her. Yeah, that's how it's got to happen. Yeah, not mad at that. And then... We have um, Kevin Owens, Braun Strowman. Strowman flip shit. I mean, that's cool. Sooner or later, Strowman should be in the main event picture before you risk him cooling all the way off. It's it's becoming to the point of no return with Braun Strowman, where it's every week it's a physical act of strength that's supposed to defy belief. And now it's like, all right, I'm getting tired of this. Because now he's so invincible to the point where, dude, he's got to lose. He's got to lose. I mean, because he's done this. He's lost before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like he's got to lose. And it's like he's he's so he's over. But it's like now it's getting exhausting because he's not where he should be. He's middling. He's doing nothing because he's too over. He's more over than the guy they're trying to push. And they're just holding him back. Yeah. And I mean, even if they do put the title on, on Braun Strowman, it's an interesting spot because who in like who on Raw right now can beat Braun Strowman except for Roman Reigns? Lashley. Mm. Um, Last is feuding with Elias. It, it, it's tricky. Like you, you don't can have, always, you don't have a Samoa Joe on Raw. No, you don't have a guy who just comes to be like you. Kind of took the edge off of Kevin Owens, AJ Styles. Yeah, but they're on they're on SmackDown. It's like you put Braun in a tough spot, and it's not really his fault because that's just how you booked him. But you have to figure it out because if he's not going to be your champ, he just can't keep beating up guys every week. Well, the it's ace just, the ace up the sleeve is always Demon Fit. I've given up on that. <laughs> I mean, they stashed him for so long for a reason. If you want to beat a monster, yes, yeah. let him be a monster. Yeah, but Finn's like 5'7". So, but the demon, the demon, yeah. it makes the it demon, believable. 
The demon's still 5'7". Yeah, you gotta... So what? Demons don't have to be big. Have you ever seen Ghost? I'm just saying. It's like the whole point of the demon... Like, the demon was just a character that he became on NXT. And WWE, they tried to make him, like, a a real-life monster. And it was stupid. Like... The paint was great in NXT. It was like, oh, man, he means business. This is like his main event gear. In Raw, it was like, this is his mystical, magical stuff. And I'm like, ah, you guys went too far. Yeah, like, yeah, don't you, yeah, too much backstory. Yeah, no, so, just, but ultimately, the bottom line to me is that Braun Strowman is too much of a force, and they're going to have to slow him down at a certain point. That's what they're doing, but they're cooling him off in the meantime. Elias is dangerously close to jumping him in popularity. Yeah, I mean it's it's all weird. It's all weird. I mean the best thing that came out of Raw was Paul Heyman's segment with Renee Young. Like Paul Heyman's just Which was great, awful. yeah. And uh he has to get someone else if Lesnar does go. If Lesnar stays for any reason and stays champ, and this is all like a cleverly planned swerve that Paulie would sell amazing the day after SummerSlam. I'm not too mad at that. I, dog, I'm but not- Roman can't lose again. I, I I will not walk back on it. Roman cannot lose again. He has to win clean. Because if not, get him the hell out of here. You might as well send him to be tag team partners with Tamatanga. Yeah, you're right. But I don't want to see Roman with the title. So I hope this happens. Like, I hope this happens and Braun is the one who beats Brock. I hope Braun, like, like Brock wins and then Braun doesn't jump him. He just says, I'm cashing this in. And at whatever pay-per-view, I'm beating that ass. You're going to get these hands. I want to see him can- cash in immediately. Don't jump him. Face-to-face, walk okay. down the ramp and says, Brock Lesnar, you're going to catch... These hands turn in the briefcase and whip his ass right there. See, I, I don't necessarily want that because they built up Braun Strowman to be this monster that why he doesn't need to jump anybody. He doesn't no, not like, jumping, not not, not saying, sneaky, just face you to just face. Had, you just had a match. Like I don't need to do this to you right now. Be a hundred percent so I can beat that ass. Uh, I think if he just whoops his ass, like Brock Brock's not even competitive, and then whenever Brock does come back, he uses the oh I was tired excuse. But in the meantime. Not even not one suplex city, not one F five. You literally let him catch these hands, and the crowd yeah. will pop and go nuts. Yeah, it just it, again, it becomes dangerous because if Brock Lesnar can't beat Braun Strowman, then who can? Well, Brock Lesnar couldn't beat him because he was tired. You built yourself an excuse. But that's my point. If Brock can't do it, and you move on from the Brock feud, then where do you go? It, it, it all becomes a little problematic because they're too monster centered. They're, they're too much on the big guys. Guys like Finn, Rollins, McIntyre. I feel like McIntyre is a guy who could make a run. Those guys are, in, are stuck kind of in the mid card and not even close to sniffing a title shot. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, SmackDown seems to have gotten it right. Daniel Bryan and The Miz really heating up. I like that. Yeah, but it's They're too not like, it's too, I don't. They started don't like it really this. late, but it's not yeah. bad. It's not. Look, look. It's not bad. I wanted more but of a push. More of the but, history. For something that's had so much history attached to it, I'm not saying they got to undermine the, the Styles. Samoa, I mean, ultimately, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe is going to be underneath Lesnar and Roman Reigns, which sucks. Like, SummerSlam is going to be a weird event. But they haven't but, really, like, got me attached to that either. I, I have actually, I thought Samoa Joe's promos have been really good. I thought I, like, that was good, but they haven't, like, I, I guess you're a big proponent in keeping each other away. Like, yeah. physicality is not needed until the night of, really? Yeah. Like, I feel like I feel like with Joe and Styles, like, this won't be their last match, right? Like, this is the beginning of their feud. Like, oh, definitely. What, what, what Nakamura and AJ Styles should have been, not at WrestleMania, but that's mm-hmm. how it should have been. Correct. Like, Styles and, and Joe 
are beginning something that can get really brutal really fast. And, and you know, who knows? Joe might take the title off of Styles. Yeah. But um, in the case of Daniel Bryan in The Miz, you have this thing sitting here, and it's been sitting here for eight years. From the NXT thing to calling them soft, like you've had it all this time. You're just now playing that card a week before the pay-per-view? It was really rushed, all of it. Like, I think the match will be fine. But I think it should have so much more vitriol. And to be honest with you... I think the promo package is going to be amazing. I do too. But to be honest with you, if you play this right, because it's in terms of grudge, it's similar to Gargano and Ciampa. It's that much heat between those guys. With those two could actually headline a pay-per-view so over why, everything else. So why can't you do this for like the next three months? Well, the, again, the problem is you're starting it kind of slow. Because you already have it. It's already there. Well, if you're building it for three months, you slowly pull out the history. More, no, no. More, this, more. You don't have to slowly pull it because everybody knows it. You're not hiding anything from anybody. Like, with Ciampa and Gargano, the injury slow played that, right? Yeah. The injury slow played the breakup. There is no injury angle here. There is nothing here. The moment that Daniel Bryan announced that he was coming back, the first person everybody thought about was The Miz. So you have a proper build to SummerSlam because they had about six weeks for this. But they only started three weeks. One, really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean it was that, some weird Kane, the Kane angle. Yeah, the team so, held no. So, so why didn't you need to let this a little bit early? Why didn't you have Miz doing commentary for a Daniel Bryan match? Why didn't you have these guys throwing jabs at each other, just in interviews? What, what have you? The Kane thing was just pointless. They really missed talking smack too. Yeah, it's like they, they, they could have played this a little bit better. I'm not saying it won't be bad. It won't be good by the time it's all said and done. It just feels weird to have, like, the you know, Daniel Bryan beating up The Miz, like, right when his reality show started. It's, it just felt like, dude, you have it all there. Just play it now. That's just like your headline. It, it really is your main event. As much as, like, Joe and Styles, that feud is your champion Gargano if you play it right. No, I definitely agree. And then the last part, New Day beats the bar. 30-minute main event. Yeah, I fast-forwarded through it. It wasn't bad. I watched no, it. it. Well, I watched bad. it on Hulu, like, though. So it was like 22 minutes. Yeah, like I scrubbed through it. Like, I was like, all right. It's like, this is... It's, I knew who won, so I was like, all right, I'll just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it's weird. That's why I don't like things spoiled for me, because then I'll automatically think to fast-forward them. But it was, it was a good match. I mean... It's weird because the Bludgeon Brothers are the tag team that I'm just like, we still really know nothing about them, and, I'm, and there's no real attachment to them as a heel faction. They're not. They're just kind of there. Yeah, it'd so, be great. Like, can you just let them go a little bit? I don't know. Right? Like, like let them do their thing. And, and I feel like I would be much more comfortable knowing what they can do if you just let them go. But yeah, no, I, don't, I don't see that happening yet. Like, they, they haven't let them wrestle. Luke Harper can wrestle. Let he Luke do his wrestle. thing. Yeah, like, he doesn't need to squash everyone in two seconds. They've been squashing these great tag teams in two seconds, and I just don't know why. It's, it's I mean, again, everything's weird. Everything's weird on Raw and SmackDown. I'll continue to watch it. Like, I will invest my time. We're doing some stuff at Sport News for SummerSlam anyway, so I'll be part of the grading crew. I'll probably be the worst one there, giving shitty grades to everything. Um... But, you know, obviously I'm going to watch it. This is what I do. I, I'm a glutton for punishment. So I will be watching this entire card. Everyone's going to be chanting for Meltzer to do a run-in when you're handing out your grades. You're the worst grader. Toughest yeah. grader in the land. Um, thankfully, you're not a professor. So you just keep, you keep writing. Never go into teaching. You're poor students. Um, that, that's our show for today, though. We went through everything, running down. 
the entire show. Next week is our SummerSlam preview. We have our NXT Brooklyn preview. It seems like a lot. G1 recap. We'll know who won by then, which is a whole other thing. So I feel like it's pro wrestling heavy. Uh, not too much MMA, not too much boxing to talk about. So we'll throw in maybe an old man Andreas story. You get one of my wild stories, and then we'll just hit wrestling full on. And we'll start the show with that. So next week is going to be really fun. Make sure you guys tune into the show. Make sure you follow us on social media at the Corner LSN on all platforms. Me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. Hopefully soon at Old Man Andreas Hale. We're working on that though. And make sure you read his articles. You know, I mean, people from time to time. He still got the skills with the pen, even though he's the boss man over there now. You know, he still puts pen to pad every now and then. We're, we're turning back the time on you, Andreas. We're making you write a little more. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, look at old, old and grumpy is back. So thank you guys for listening. He has to go again and put some moisturizer in that beard after paying for the, the shape up and the shave. I'm going to go and figure out a way to grow my beard longer. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.